Life on Venus. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Last week, scientists announced the findings of phosphine gas in the atmosphere of Venus, one of our closest planetary neighbors. This stinky gas is linked to life here on Earth, so could that be the case on Venus? We'll talk with two scientists about this extraordinary finding. First, NC State planetary scientist Paul Byrne will break down the finding and what it means for our understanding of the Venus atmosphere and the possibility of life there. Then, MIT quantum astrochemist Clara Sousa Silva, who has studied the stinky molecule, explains how scientists can use this finding at Venus to track down possible signs of life in our universe. The search for life in our solar system and beyond. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? In a paper released in the journal Nature Astronomy last week, scientists announced the findings of phosphine in the atmosphere of Venus. They did this by using what's called spectroscopy. Certain molecules absorb certain wavelengths of light, so by looking at what light is blocked, observers can detect which chemicals are actually there blocking those wavelengths. Phosphine on Venus was a surprise. On Earth, it's created by organic material decaying. It's found in the farts and poop of certain animals like penguins. Elsewhere in the solar system, it's created by incredibly violent conditions like massive lightning storms and volcanoes. Well, none of those scenarios are thought to be occurring on Venus. So what does this finding uncover? Well, here to help us understand this finding is Paul Byrne. He's a planetary geologist at NC State University. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Lovely to be here with you, Brendan. Well, Paul, you, you described um, this finding as something that I can't say on the air um, because of the FCC, but uh, you said it was a, a big <laughs> blank deal uh, from yes, your perspective. <laughs> uh, explain why. Why is this such a, 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 a big expletive deal? Right. So we have found something strange in the atmosphere of Venus, something that we really were not expecting to find there at all. And more than that, what we found, this gas we call phosphine, is a gas that normally we associate with biological activity. It's, it's a gas that's commonly uh, produced by uh, rotting vegetation or even inside the intestines of animals on Earth. So detecting it at however low an abundance that we happen to know that it exists in Venus atmosphere is, is a major surprise for Venus, a world that you know, we have long since viewed as basically being inhospitable because at the surface of Venus, it's the pressure of a half mile underwater on Earth and it's the temperature of a self-cleaning oven. So for there to be evidence of some kind of potentially biological signature anywhere in that planet is, is a real surprise. And, and, and walk me through the actual observation. Like how, how did researchers or, or observers actually see this phosphine? So this phosphine was measured by a team uh, using a telescope to actually calibrate a model they had for how they would look for phosphine in the atmospheres of exoplanets, extrasolar planets of those that orbit other stars. Because phosphine for a long time has been thought to be a biologically relevant gas. So the idea was that how will we try and work out the habitability or the, even the potential whether or not a world is actually inhabited uh, of an exoplanet. And the idea is that if you find phosphine in the atmosphere of an exoplanet tens of light years away, which we can do with telescopes, um, that might be a big deal. And so to calibrate their findings, they pointed this telescope at Venus. They were not expecting, they were not, the point was not to look at Venus. The point was just simply to calibrate what they were doing. And they find phosphine in Venus atmosphere. 
which is why this is such a big surprise. And to validate their findings, because the, the telescope they used wasn't necessarily designed exactly for this kind of measurement at Venus. So you always want to make sure you're not picking up some sort of artifact for how the instrument is calibrated. So they went to another more powerful telescope in Chile and found the same feature there. It's a similar uh, way in, that, that, in which that telescope works. Uh, and that indicates that this wasn't, you know, one-off fluke or some weird uh, side effect of this particular telescope they were using. The fact that two different telescopes were able to resolve this signature uh, in the atmosphere of Venus suggests that this rate really might actually be real. So phosphine, it's associated with, you know, the breakdown of organic material. Um, that means there has to be some sort of life there. The headlines all last week were life on Venus. Does this finding confirm that? Are there aliens on Venus? No, or at least probably not. And here's why. So phosphine is a gas that we attribute to, to biological processes in Earth, but there are abiological or non-living processes that make phosphine as well. It could be that meteorites entering an atmosphere, if the meteorites are rich in phosphorus, could potentially produce, uh, provide the phosphorus for us to uh, react. Problem is, there are some geological processes that might make phosphine. What these researchers found was that none of the processes they could think of can get the amount of phosphine they've detected. We know there's huge amounts of phosphine in the giant planets like Jupiter, for example, but we know that the temperature pressure conditions there and the chemistry of Venus of uh, Jupiter's atmosphere uh, makes phosphine. Those conditions don't apply to Venus. So this is, to be clear, not an, a detection of alien life. It is a detection of unusual and anomalous chemistry that could be potentially uh, the process or the outcome of biological activity in the Venus clouds. It could just as, in fact, I think it's probably more likely that it's some weird chemical process uh, in the Venus atmosphere. We, we don't know all that much about Venus. So the greatest likelihood, and for us to be skeptical as scientists in, the, in, in interpreting this, this discovery is that there's a very good chance this is not life. Uh, there could be, I think it's much more likely that there's some weird chemistry going on in the atmosphere of Venus that we just don't understand, we didn't anticipate, that our models can't explain right now. So what we're really finding out, and what this finding really is at its core, is a surprising discovery for something that we didn't expect to find of Venus. What that means is the way we get at this question is we go back to Venus. And it's only in doing that that we are really going to be able to determine whether or not this is some abiological naturally occurring phenomenon that we just didn't understand, or that maybe there in fact is something living in the clouds of Venus. Paul Byrne, as, as someone who studies planetary geology, is it more exciting to think that there might be a different geological process that will create phosphine, or is it more exciting to you to think that there's actually little live buggers living in the clouds of Venus? Right. So, so as a human being, what excites me is the possibility of there being crawlies in the atmosphere of Venus. Um, as a scientist, certainly as a geologist, uh, yeah, I, the idea that there could be some geological processes, you know, releasing gas. We know that, uh, you know, atmospheres are built by gases that come out of a planet's interior through things like volcanism. So maybe there's a chemical makeup inside Venus that isn't quite what we thought it was, and it's able to introduce a lot more phosphorus than we were expecting. Um, like I say, there are lots of potential possibilities we just don't really understand yet to explain this from an, an abiological perspective. So yeah, geologically, whatever the answer is, I'm going to be excited. But as scientists, we have to take the skeptical conservative route in assessing these data and, and being cautious in our, in our findings so that we don't cry wolf. We don't identify what we call a false positive, which is a false detection of life where none exists. But at the same time, we're driven by arguably a single question, are we alone? 
And that underpins a lot of the science we do, even if it's not ever necessarily going to lead to a definitive answer. That answer kind of shapes the field of planetary science, not exclusively, but largely. What conditions lead to a planet being habitable? What conditions lead to the planet losing its habitable status? Where might there be organic molecules that can lead to biotic life? We don't know the answers to these questions all that well right now. Um, we've only been asking them for a few decades. So the discovery of Venus, that's what I think is most exciting about this. It's not necessarily, you know, like I say, we have not definitively found evidence for life in Venus's clouds, and it probably isn't life at all. But what it is, is a discovery of something we weren't expecting. It says even the planet literally next door will have surprises for us. And we've been exploring Venus on and off for 60 years, and yet we are still learning brand new things about it. And, and it's telling us that we still don't really grasp the basics of how planets form and how they work. We'll get there eventually, but this is showing us that we don't have that whole story yet. And at the very least, I think it's a compelling motivation for us to consider seriously exploring Venus again like we once used to in the 60s and 70s, for example. Tell me a little bit about that skepticism that you have and, and, and what kind of follow-up observations or, or even missions to Venus uh, need to happen to help kind of determine what the process is that's creating this phosphine. Right. So, so that first point about the skepticism, um, we want to make sure that if it comes to the point where we are in the planetary community, eventually one day to be able to say we've discovered life somewhere, we absolutely want to make sure that we have that right. And this is not nearly that, that confirmed yet, this finding. So we want to take a slow and measured approach to make sure that we are taking the right measurements that we are, we are thinking things through, that we're ruling out everything we can. And in, in that first paper, this team reported that came out on Monday, they did a very, very good job of going, stepping through all of the things they could think of that might make phosphine that, that's in a non-biological way and, and stating why they think none of those mechanisms could work. But they were, they're very upfront in saying, that doesn't mean we've ruled everything out. It just means we've ruled everything out we can think of. There could be a bunch of unknown stuff we haven't, we haven't figured out yet. So that skepticism has to underpin this kind of, I think the discovery of alien life, if and I think when it happens eventually, howsoever it's made, is going to be one of the biggest discoveries of our species. And we really want to make sure we get it right. So we'll take our time, we'll proceed thoughtfully, and we'll make sure that we, we really do rule out everything else until we're at the position where we can one day, whether it's Venus or Mars or an exoplanet or somewhere else, that we can say, yes, this is life. So, so, so that's kind of your first question. In terms of how we, how we do it, how we actually get to that point, particularly for Venus, uh, I think it's critical that we do follow-up observations. We need other telescopes on Earth, preferably with other means of detecting phosphine, because there are different kinds of telescopes, to see, can other teams replicate that finding? That is one of the cornerstones of science, is that, you know, can we replicate a given finding? Um, the fact, like I said earlier, that this discovery was made with two different telescopes is encouraging. So I, I think this is a real discovery, and I think... Uh, we want to make sure of that, so we'll, you know, doing follow-up studies. Um, there is also a whole pile of stuff we could be doing in labs on Earth to try and actually understand what chemical processes and reactions happen at Venus-relevant conditions. Now, I mentioned earlier that the surface of Venus is is hellish. It's self-cleaning oven temperature, and it's you know half a mile underwater pressure. But at the altitude in the clouds where we think this detection was made, somewhere between 55 and 60 kilometers, maybe say 40 miles, it turns out that the temperature and pressure in the, in the atmosphere there are actually very similar to the room in which you're sitting now, where your listeners are, are sitting. Uh, so that's actually a very nice place. In fact, it's the closest place in the solar system to Earth-like conditions, the Venus, the upper Venus atmosphere. Now, there are other issues. There's a lot of UV radiation and there's virtually no water. So it's still a challenging place for life to exist. 
but it is an encouraging place, or at least it's one of the least disencouraging places where life might exist in humans. So what that means is we want to do our follow-up observations from Earth, we want to do our lab experiments, but then we need to get back to Venus, because to really get at this question, we have to have something preferably in orbit that's able to detect phosphine. We've had orbiters at Venus for a while uh, before, they can last for years there, so having a spacecraft that's looking for these measurements uh, over several years would be extraordinarily helpful because it would give us the kind of resolution we cannot possibly get from Earth. But ultimately, to really nail this down, we have to have something in the Venus atmosphere itself. And that's where things like really kind of a, ambitious missions like balloons or aerial platforms would come in. Spacecraft that could get into the Venus atmosphere with the kind of instrumentation that would actually really challenge this, tackle this issue head on. I don't know what mission or missions Venus, uh, NASA will pick. We'll have to wait until April to find that out, April of next year. But I'm hoping that this is at least will put Venus on the radar of folks who might not previously have considered it as a meaningful target for astrobiological research, as a meaningful exploration target with spacecraft. Because like I say, that is how we're going to answer this question. We've been speaking with Paul Byrne. He's the Associate Professor of Planetary Science at NC State University. Paul, thanks for speaking with us. My pleasure, Brennan. Thanks very much. That was NC State University planetary geologist Paul Byrne. You can follow him on Twitter at The Planetary Guy. Still to come, how phosphine can help us spot other potential pockets of life in the universe. Are We There Yet? is back in a minute. You're listening to Are We There Yet? I'm Brendan Byrne. We're breaking down the recent findings of phosphine on Venus, our closest planetary neighbor, and what that means for the search for life in our universe. While phosphine on Venus was quite the surprise, it's thought the stinky gas is found in other places outside our solar system. And since it's an indicator of possible life on a planet, scientists are using it to peer deep into our universe, hunting for other potential organisms. Now, one of these scientists is MIT quantum astrochemist Clara Sousa Silva. She's been studying this molecule for nearly a decade and hopes it can be used as what's called a biomarker to spot potentially habitable exoplanets. Well, she joins us now to talk about her work and this groundbreaking discovery. Clara, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. So you've been researching phosphines as, as a way to detect possible signs of life outside of our solar system. Um, what was your initial reaction when you heard phosphine, the stinky gas, uh, was found so close to home on Venus? Well, I'd been working on phosphine for a long time, and I had specifically been trying to figure out if we could detect phosphine on distant planets and what it would mean. And I had submitted in 2018 uh, a paper that said, you know, if you find phosphine on any terrestrial planet, it can only mean life. And the paper went into review. Uh, and that took about a year to, to process and has been recently published. But when it was in review, I get a strange email from Jane Greaves, who's the lead on this incredible discovery we are discussing, saying, Clara, uh, you're the phosphine expert. I think I found phosphine on Venus. Is that weird? I think it's weird. I'm paraphrasing here, but that was basically the gist of the email. <laughs> and um, I immediately went, yes, that's very weird. Um, <laughs> I had just submitted this paper that seemed very reasonable. And now it seemed like I was claiming something quite outrageous. Um, and so 
I did freak out. I responded very quickly saying, are you absolutely sure you found phosphine on Venus? Because if so, it may be a really big deal or I'm wrong. And I just made some mistake in my calculations. And that was the beginning of a year and a half of collaboration with myself and Jane, but also the MIT team that I brought in and the large team that Jane had on her side already to try to A, confirm it was phosphine and B, try to explain it. Why is it such a big deal? So a lot of molecules are produced by life and some are quite famous, you know, like oxygen and water and carbon dioxide and methane. And astronomers have looked for these molecules all over the universe for a long time, partially because they would be signs of life. Phosphine is also a biomarker. It's a sign of life. It's produced by life. But it has one special property that distinguishes it from these other molecules I mentioned. And that is, it's really, really, really hard to make. And so it's really hard to make accidentally on a habitable planet. And water and oxygen and methane are lovely molecules that life loves to make. But sadly, lots of other things love making it too. Geochemical processes like volcanoes, but also photochemistry in the atmosphere. And so if you see these molecules, oxygen, methane, on a planet, you may have found life, but you may have found something else altogether. Phosphine, mm -hmm. as far as we can tell, can only be made by life as long as it's found on terrestrial planets and in significant quantities. And so it becomes quite a special molecule that it's a less ambiguous sign of life. You mentioned the term biomarkers. Now, now, these are the things that you were explaining, like those other elements that, that are produced by life, by, by living things. And you're hoping to use these biomarkers to look outside of our solar system, right? To, to see if you can find these on exoplanets. Exactly. All my research was looking, you know, for faraway planets and trying to figure out what molecules could we detect on these planets that would give us a good sign of life. So uh, a sign of life that is not ambiguous, that could only represent a biosphere or maybe a combination of molecules that together could only represent a biosphere. And this was really hard work. So I feel really silly that I didn't even think to look next door. I was just considering really exotic faraway planets. And this whole time, right next door, there was Venus uh, waiting to be looked at. So I'm extremely uh. thankful for Jane for having thought of that. What does that mean for your research, um, having a finding so close to home like this? Does it, does it help with the search for these biomarkers outside of our solar system? I hope so. And it also means that people now know what phosphine is, uh, which <laughs> for my whole career has not been the case. I have given innumerable talks about phosphine to very bored audiences in the last decade. And I'm very excited about my next talk that I give um, to have an audience that actually knows and likes phosphine already. As you mentioned, you have been studying this for quite some time. Your Twitter handle is at Dr. Phosphine. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about this this molecule. It's It's absolutely fascinating. It's in the spotlight now. What do we need to know about it? So when I first got to know phosphine uh, in 2011, it was really only known for two things. One, as a, a marker for violent storms on Jupiter and Saturn. So in those planets, it does not mean life. It just means that there are some really intense uh, regions in the depths of Jupiter and Saturn that can force phosphine to be created and then dredged up to the surface, to the, the, the top of the atmosphere where we can see it. But the other thing phosphine was known for at the time was just for being this horrific molecule that smells terrible, that is flammable, that is extremely toxic. 
it was known to those who did knew, know about it for being really dangerous. So it was used as a chemical warfare agent in the First World War and, and sadly more recently by ISIS. It was used as a fumigant, it still is, as a pesticide and as an unfortunate byproduct of methamphetamine production. So mm. that's all it was known for at the time. And I worked really hard to understand anything else about phosphine. And in that uh, investigation, I started realizing that phosphine was quietly being mentioned for maybe a hundred years now, as a molecule also being associated with many small hidden ecosystems, places like swamps and sewage and marshland and rice fields and sludges and the farts and excrements of many, many animals, badgers, penguins, ants, babies. And all of these ecosystems have one thing in common, which is they're anaerobic. They don't rely on oxygen. So phosphine is a biosignature for anaerobic life. So on Earth is not very popular because we are mostly an oxygen loving planet. You know, humans love oxygen. Most things love oxygen. Our atmosphere has loads of oxygen. So phosphine is a bit of a, the biosignature of a bit of a shadow biosphere on Earth. And it was by painting this picture that I became really interested in finding it on exoplanets far away, trying to find another one of these biospheres, perhaps this time one less hidden. You mentioned to me before we started recording that phosphine is a part of a larger family. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, are there differences between the molecules within the family? And are you looking for um, kind of brothers or cousins to this phosphine elsewhere in our solar system or, or our universe? And, and what does that tell us about the environment that you might find it in? Well, of all the phosphines, phosphine is likely to be the most abundant. It's kind of the simplest one to make. And uh, it's likely to be in larger quantities. We barely detected phosphine, so I wouldn't recommend trying to find other phosphines. But the whole family is basically dangerous and smells terrible or is flammable, at least one of those things. And so they're not particularly pleasant. But again, pleasant to us. We are a very specific type of life and the things we like uh, don't like phosphines. But there's a whole universe out there of different biochemistries that may find pleasant, but we find disgusting. And phosphine is a really good example of that. How disgusting? <laughs> How unpleasant is it? <laughs> I mean, any we've evolved to find any biochemistries that are incompatible with us um, to find quite repulsive, repulsive and disgusting. You know, things that are bad for us and toxic for us, we tend to find them really unpleasant. Um, mm. But it's good to remember that you know, they probably find, uh, find us repulsive too. This is not, you know, a one-way street. <laughs> well, uh, maybe we should take a step back. Um, you know, there was this this paper that was released um, saying that, that phosphine was, was discovered on Venus. You're hoping to use it as a biomarker to look elsewhere, but you're, you're making these observations remotely, right? How, how do you actually confirm or or make an observation of, of phosphine on Venus or on an exoplanet outside of our solar system? What are you looking for? So we use a technique called spectroscopy. And the way that works is by exploiting a very special property of molecules and what happens when they interact with light. So if you take any light from anywhere, you can break it up into a rainbow. You can do it you know, with a prism or a spectroscope or even a drop of water. And if you can get a, a rainbow and you can look at it, 
you can start looking at it for, for small impurities. And those impurities happen because when light goes through a gas, molecules in that gas absorb bits of the light, different colors of the rainbow. And so by seeing these impurities in the rainbow, like the rainbow from Venus, we can look for impurities that correspond to specific colors of light that only phosphine um, can cause. So, for example, phosphine can only absorb, say, a specific shade of green, or methane can only absorb a specific shade of pink. And we look at the rainbow from the light of anywhere, Venus or the sun or a faraway planet, and if we see those specific colors missing, we know what molecules that light had to go through. Now, phosphine doesn't actually absorb any colors that are anywhere near green, but you get the picture. We, we mm -hmm. saw one of these bits of the light from Venus missing that only, Venus, that only phosphine can take. Uh, with, with the findings from Venus, um, I mean, are you taking a, a skeptical look at this? Do you think that, that this is the answer, or are you hoping for more follow-up? I mean, what are, you, what are you kind of thinking as a scientist right now? What, what are the next steps? I'm extremely skeptical. I mean, I hope you are too. I hope anyone listening is also skeptical. This is definitely a really exciting discovery because we found something extraordinary on Venus that so far we cannot explain. Yes, life is a possible explanation and that alone is incredible. Even more incredible that right now we have no other explanation. But yes, we should remain very skeptical. Um, there are kind of two sources of uncertainty in this discovery. One is... Is it really phosphine? Could we have gotten confused with it, another molecule? So that's very much uh, follow-up uh, work that is happening right now. I'm leading the efforts in the infrared to try and confirm phosphine in a different region of the, um, the electromagnetic spectrum. But that will only tell us if it is for sure phosphine. The other uncertainty is if it is phosphine, is it life? And that's much hard, much harder to answer. It's not a trivial question. So far, our technique has been to exclude everything else. You know, think of any way of making phosphine and see if it gets ruled out. And so far, we have ruled out every alternative explanation. But maybe there's just something we don't know yet about the atmosphere of Venus. Maybe there's some exotic geochemistry that we don't yet understand. So I think the next steps is making use of the broad and vast expertise of the scientific community, now that they know about the discovery, to try and really explain this detection. And is this the last we're going to hear of phosphine, or, or do you think that uh, this little bugger is going to show up a lot more? Oh, I hope it's not the last. I mean, if there is life on Venus and they're producing phosphine and life on Earth produces phosphine, I'm inclined to think that is actually quite a common choice for life that doesn't like oxygen. And so that would be a, an interesting thing to follow up, and I will try my hardest to find phosphine elsewhere. We've been speaking with Dr. Clara Sousa Silva. Uh, thank you so much for speaking with us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That was MIT quantum astrochemist Clara Sousa Silva. Be sure to give her a follow on Twitter for more insight. It's an easy handle. She's at Dr. Phosphine. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Are We There Yet is a production of WMFE and WMFV. Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Petty. The show's intern is Nelly Ontiveros. Our director of content is Steve Yasko. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. Become a sustaining member and help fuel this show's exploration. You can do that by visiting wmfe.org slash donate. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>